Section 13 of The Modern Scottish Minstrel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chairley. The Modern Scottish Minstrel by Charles Rogers. Section 13. True love is watered eye with tears. Through love is watered eye with tears, it grows neath stormy skies. It's fenced around we hopes and fears, and fanned we heartfelt sighs. We chains o' gold it will no be bound, oh, wha the heart can vie. The titled glare, the wildling's care, even absence twill defy, even absence twill defy. And time that kills ah other things, his withering touch twill brave, twill live in joy, twill live in grief, twill live beyond the grave, twill live, twill live, though buried deep in true heart's memory. O oh, we forgot that ain sae fair, sae bricht, sae young could dee, sae young could dee. Unfeeling hands may touch the cord where buried griefs do lie. How many silent agonies! may that rude touch untie but oh i love that plaintive lay that dear old melody for oh tis sweet yet i mun greet for it was sung by thee sung by thee they may forget wha lichtly love or feel but beauty's chain but they wha loved a heavenly mind can never love again ah my dreams o world's good i were turned wi thee but I lent on a broken reed, which soon was tain frae me, tain frae me. Tis weel, tis weel, we dinna ken what we may live to see. Twas mercy's hand that hung the veil o'er sad futurity. O ye whose hearts are scathed and riven, or feel the world is vain, O fix your broken earthly ties, where they ne'er will break again break again. Ah, little did my mother think. Ah, little did my mother think, when to me she sung, what a heartbreak I would be, her young and doubted son. And oh, how fond she was o' me, in plaid and bonnet bra, when I bade farewell to the north country, and marching gaed awa. A little did my mother think, a banished man I'd be, sent frae my kith and kin, them never mare to see. O father, twas the sugared drap, aft ye did gie to me, that has brought a this misery, baith to you and me. Would you be young again, to the air, Eilunarun? Would you be young again? So would not I. One tear to memory given, onward died he. Life's dark flood forded o'er, all but at rest on shore. Say, would you plunge once more, with home so nigh? If you might, would you now retrace your way, wander through stormy wilds, faint and astray? Night's gloomy watches fled, morning all beaming red, hope's smiles around us shed heavenward away. Where, then, 
are those dear ones our joy and delight dear and more dear though now hidden from sight where they rejoice to be there is the land for me fly time fly speedily come life and light rest is not here what's this vain world to me rest is not here false are the smiles i see the mirth i hear where is youth's joyful glee where all once dear to me gone as the shadows flee rest is not here why did the morning shine blithely and fair why did those tints so fine vanish in the air does not the vision say faint lingering heart away why in this desert stay dark land of care where souls angelic soar thither repair let this vain world no more lull and ensnare that heaven i love so well still in my heart shall dwell all things around me tell rest is found there here's to them that are gain to the air here's a health to ain i low wheel here's to them to them that are gain here's to them to them that are gain here's to them that were here the faithful and dear that will never be here again no never but where are they now that are gain O oh, where are the faithful and true that gain to the light that fears not the night and their day of rejoicing shall end no never here's to them to them that were here here's to them to them that were here here's a tear and a sigh to the bliss that's gone by but twas ne'er like what's coming to last for ever o oh, bright was their morning sun o oh, bright was their morning sun yet lang ere the gloaming in clouds it gaed down but the storm and the cloud are now past for ever farewell farewell parting silence is sad o oh, how sad the last parting tear but that silence shall break where no tear on the cheek can bedim the bright vision again no never then speed to the wings of old time that waft us where pilgrims would be to the regions of rest to the shores of the blest where the full tide of glory shall flow for ever farewell o oh farewell to a gaelic air Farewell, O oh farewell, my heart it is sair. Farewell, O oh farewell, I'll see him nae mair. Lang, lang was he mine, lang, lang, but nae mair. I mauna repine, but my heart it is sair. His staff's at the wa, tomb, tomb is his chair. His bannet an a, an I maun be here. But oh, he's at rest, why should I complain? Gin my soul be blessed, I'll meet him again. O oh, to meet him again, where hearts ne'er were sair, O oh, to meet him again, to part never mair. The Dead Who Have Died in the Lord Go, call the mourners, and raise the lament. Let the tresses be torn, and the garments be rent. But weep not for him who is gone to his rest, nor mourn for the ransomed, nor wail for the blessed. 
the sun is not set but is risen on high nor long in corruption his body shall lie then let not the tide of thy griefs overflow nor the music of heaven be discord below rather loud be the song and triumphant the chord let us joy for the dead who have died in the lord go call for the mourners and raise the lament let the tresses be torn and the garments be rent but give to the living thy passion of tears who walk in this valley of sadness and fears who oppressed by the combat in darkness are lost by the tempest are beat on the billows are tossed o weep not for those who shall sorrow no more whose warfare is ended whose combat is o'er let the song be exalted be triumphant the chord and rejoice for the dead who have died in the lord james montgomery james montgomery the spiritual character of whose writings has gained him the honourable designation of the christian poet was born at Irvine in the county of ayr on the fourth of november seventeen seventy one his father john montgomery was a missionary of the moravian brethren and in this capacity came to Irvine from ireland only a few days before the birth of james his eldest son in his fourth year he returned to ireland with his parents and received the rudiments of his education from the village schoolmaster of grace hill a settlement of the moravian brethren in the county of antrim in october seventeen seventy seven in his seventh year he was placed by his father in the seminary of the moravian settlement of fullneck near leeds and on the departure of his parents to the west indies in seventeen eighty three he was committed to the care of the brethren with the view of his being trained for their church he was not destined to see his parents again his mother died at barbados in november seventeen ninety and his father after an interval of eight months in consequence of his indolent habits which were incorrigible young montgomery was removed from the seminary at fullneck and placed in the shop of a baker at murfield in the vicinity he was then in his sixteenth year and having already afforded evidence of a refined taste both in poetry and music though careless of the ordinary routine of scholastic instruction his new occupation was altogether uncongenial to his feelings he however remained about eighteen months in the baker's service but at length made a hasty escape from murfield with only three shillings and sixpence in his pocket and seemingly without any scheme except that of relieving himself from an irksome employment but an accidental circumstance speedily enabled him to obtain an engagement with a shopkeeper in wath now a station on the railway between london and leeds and in procuring this employment he was indebted to the recommendation of his former master whose service he had unceremoniously quitted but this new situation had few advantages over the old and he relinquished it in about a year to try his fortune in the metropolis he had previously sent a manuscript volume of poetry to harrison the bookseller of paternoster row who while declining to publish it commended the author's talents and so far promoted his views as now to receive him into his establishment but montgomery's aspirations had no reference to serving behind a counter he only accepted a place in the bookseller's establishment 
that he might have an opportunity of leisurely feeling his way as an author. His literary efforts, however, still proved fruitless. He composed essays and tales, and wrote a romance in the manner of fielding, but none of his productions could find a publisher. Mortified by his failures, he quitted London in eight months, and returned to the shop of his former employer at Wath. After the interval of another year he proceeded to Sheffield to occupy a situation under Mr. Joseph Gales, a bookseller, and the proprietor of the Register newspaper. Montgomery was now in his twenty-first year, and fortune at length began, though with many lowering intervals, to smile upon his useful aspirations. Though he occupied a subordinate post in Mr. Gale's establishment, his literary services were accepted for the Register, in which he published many of his earlier compositions, both in prose and verse. This journal had advocated sentiments of an ultra-liberal order, and commanding a wide circulation and a powerful influence among the operatives in Sheffield, had been narrowly inspected by the authorities. At length the proprietor fell into the snare of sympathizing in the transactions of the French revolutionists. He was prosecuted for sedition, and deemed himself only safe from compulsory exile by a voluntary exit to America. This event took place about two years after Montgomery's first connection with Sheffield, and he had now reverted to his former condition of abject dependence, unless for a fortunate occurrence. This was no less than his being appointed joint proprietor and editor of the newspaper by a wealthy individual, who, noticing the abilities of the young shopman, purchased the copyright with the view of placing the management entirely in his hands. The first number of the newspaper under the poet's care, the name being changed to that of the Sheffield Iris, appeared in July 1794, and though the principles of the journal were moderate and conciliatory in comparison with the democratic sentiments espoused by the former publisher, the jealous eye of the authorities rested on its new conductor. He did not escape their vigilance, for the simple offence of printing for a ballad vendor some verses of a song celebrating the fall of the Bastille, he was libelled as a wicked, malicious, seditious, and evil-disposed person, and being tried before the Doncaster Quarter Sessions in January 1795, was sentenced to three months' imprisonment in the castle of York. He was condemned to a second imprisonment of six months in the autumn of the same year, for inserting in his paper an account of a riot in the place in which he was considered to have cast dispersions on a colonel of volunteers. The calm mind of the poet did not sink under these persecutions, and some of his best lyrics were composed during the period of his latter confinement. During his first detention he wrote a series of interesting essays for his newspaper. His Prison Amusements, a series of beautiful pieces, appeared in 1797, in 1805 he published his poem The Ocean, in 1806 The Wanderer in Switzerland, in 1808 The West Indies, and in 1812 The World Before the Flood. In 1819 he published Greenland, a poem, in five cantos, and in 1825 appeared The Pelican Island and other poems. Of all those productions, The Wanderer in Switzerland attained the widest circulation, and, notwithstanding an unfavourable 
and injudicious criticism in the Edinburgh Review, at once procured an honourable place for the author among his contemporaries. He became sole proprietor of the Iris in one year after his being connected with it, and he continued to conduct this paper till September 1825, when he retired from public duty. He subsequently contributed articles for different periodicals, but he chiefly devoted himself to the moral and religious improvement of his fellow townsmen. A pension of £150 on the civil list was conferred upon him as an acknowledgment of his services in behalf of literature and of philanthropy. A well-merited public boon, which for many years he was spared to enjoy. He died at his residence, the Mount, Sheffield, on the 30th of April, 1854, in the 82nd year of his age. He bequeathed handsome legacies to various public charities. His poetical works, in a collected form, were published in 1850 by the Messrs. Longman in one octavo volume, and in 1853 he gave to the world his last work, being Original Hymns for Public, Private, and Social Devotion. Copious memoirs of his life are now in the course of publication. As a poet, Montgomery is conspicuous for the smoothness of his versification and for the fervent piety pervading all his compositions. As a man, he was gentle and conciliatory, and was remarkable as a generous promoter of benevolent institutions. The general tendency of his poems was thus indicated by himself in the course of an address which he made at a public dinner, given him at Sheffield in November 1825, immediately after the toast of his health being proposed by the chairman, Lord Viscount Milton, now Earl Fitzwilliam. I sang of war, but it was the war of freedom, in which death was preferred to chains. I sang the abolition of the slave trade, that most glorious decree of the British legislature at any period since the Revolution, by the first Parliament in which you, my lord, sat as the representative of Yorkshire. Oh, how should I rejoice to sing the abolition of slavery itself by some Parliament of which your lordship shall yet be a member? This greater act of righteous legislation is surely not too remote to be expected even in our own day. Renouncing the slave trade was only ceasing to do evil. Extinguishing slavery will be learning to do well. Again I sang of love, the love of country, the love of my own country, for, next to heaven above, land of my fathers, thee I love, and rail thy slanders as they will, with all thy faults I love thee still. I sang likewise the love of home, its charities, endearments, and relationships, all that makes home sweet home. The recollection of which, when the air of that name was just now played from yonder gallery, warmed every heart throughout this room into quicker pulsations. I sang the love which man ought to bear towards his brother, of every kindred and country and clime upon earth. I sang the love of virtue, which elevates man to his true standard under heaven, I sang, too, the love of God, who is love, nor did I sing in vain. I found readers and listeners, especially among the young, the fair, and the devout. And as youth, beauty, and piety will not soon cease out of this land, I may expect to be remembered through another generation at least. 
if I leave anything behind me worthy of remembrance. I may add that, from every part of the British Empire, from every quarter of the world where our language is spoken, from America, the East and West Indies, from New Holland, and the South Sea Islands themselves, I have received testimonies of approbation from all ranks and degrees of readers, hailing what I had done, and cheering me forward. I allude not to criticisms and eulogiums from the press, but to voluntary communications from unknown correspondents, coming to me like voices out of darkness, and giving intimation of that which the ear of a poet is always hearkening onward to catch, the voice of posterity. End of section 13 Recording by Charlie, B.C., Canada